Hello, and welcome to AMM Conversation, official podcast of the Association of Medical Media. I'm your host, Jason Karras. Before we dive into our roundtable, please make sure to share, subscribe, rate, and comment on the podcast. We appreciate the support. Season four of the podcast is exploring effective strategies for engaging healthcare professionals via social and multimedia. Today, we have a star-studded group of pharmaceutical marketers knee-deep in social and multimedia. Angela Hortzman is the U.S. brand launch lead for a lupus candidate within immunology biologics at AstraZeneca. Previously, she worked as head of the customer experience acceleration at GlaxoSmithKline, where she led a large enterprise team in launching many firsts, ranging from marketing automation to utilizing artificial intelligence for market segmentation and chatbot technology for one-to-one patient engagement in social media. Paul Marasco is head of digital customer interaction for North America at Ipsen. Paul leads strategy across three pillars, foundational excellence, digital leadership, and transformational digital health. He has a dual mandate to support each of the brands and their customers while sharing best practices and establishment of standards and guidelines. Ryan Billings is head of U.S. Oncology Digital Marketing and Customer Experience at GlaxoSmithKline, where he leads the development, delivery, and optimization of digital campaigns and capabilities for the U.S. Oncology Business Unit. His career spans over 15 years leading digital, social strategy, and innovation at various companies across oncology, women's health, and metabolic diseases. Thanks to all my guests today. Now let's get to our panel. Paul, could you start us out with a quick state of the industry overview? The industry right now is on a high. If you look at the work uh, the pharma industry, biotech industry is really doing around the COVID vaccine and how quickly they brought something to market, I think there's going to be a lot of um, positive goodwill coming from this. So maybe our reputation will improve a couple points. Um, and I also think, um, although you know it's been a year since we've been in this lockdown mode, I, I think there has been a digital acceleration that COVID has caused that the industry needed in, in, in many ways because we were lagging on so many fronts. And you know, topics that were spoken about, but there wasn't a lot of activity like omnichannel we were struggling just to have some robust multi-channel strategies. And now omni-channel is not only being used, but being, you know, question, why aren't we there yet? Likewise, engagement with HCPs. You know, it used to be face-to-face primarily, and then virtual was a distance, distance second or not even done. Now, depending on the situation, uh, the disease state, you are truly getting a mix of maybe more virtual than face-to-face. So I would say that's uh, the industry in a nutshell right now in uh, March of 21. Yeah, I think um, I heard a stat a couple of weeks ago in one of our market research readouts that um, people's uh, view of pharma has increased by 30% positively. And that's really remarkable. And I I honestly think it's just such an opportunity for us to kind of forge new relationships and just strengthen existing relationships with customers. So it's really a great time. Um, And it's just personally been really cool to see this industry come together and really be a key player in helping to just solve this problem that we've been living in for the past year plus. Angela, what's different about social and multimedia in terms of marketing plans for 2021? You know, if if I'm being honest, um, it's not wildly different. So I'm in the midst of a new product launch. um, And you know what? I looked at my plan and I'm like, this is not dramatically different than launches I've done in the past. I mean, I think the reality is that we have, um, you know, the foundation, right? The things like the ops, the strats, the comms objectives, those things really haven't changed. But what is shifting, um, however, is I think, you know, there's just this realization of different ways in pharma that we can reach HCPs. Um, And even before COVID hit, I think pharma finally realized that HCPs were people too. 
Uh, and when I say that, I mean real people, the real people that go on ESPN, real people that scroll their feed, real people that tweet. Uh, of course, you know, this opens up a ton of opportunities to reach HCPs out of their lab coats and in what we've been calling their blue gene moments. Um, the most challenging thing to do that is, is clearly targeting, right? And that's really what's advanced so much during this time period. Um, we know that HCPs are spending a ton of time on non-endemic platforms such as Facebook. I think I heard a stat recently that 80% of all physicians say that they are on that platform monthly. So now that we're getting a lot smarter about being able to target, being able to ensure we're getting the right matches and then eventually retarget, all that's doing is just increasing the effectiveness of these channels. Um, and the other thing that's changed is that because almost every brand has had some history of performance in these channels, it means that it's in our marketing mix models. And that means that we're seeing the impact um, uh, you know, that we hadn't always been able to rely on in the past. So now, you know, unlike you know, with personal channels that were really changed with COVID, you can see that we're just getting more and more impact, um, targeted and efficient reach out of social channels and thus it's increasing how much we're spending on it in our, our marketing mix. Um, it doesn't replace what I would say is some of the endemic pubs. I think a lot of people think that we're switching away from print completely. Um, but what we're finding is, is that even though social media engagement's increasing, there's just not as high in terms of trust. So you still need to reach, you know, customers using the, you know, the, you know, um, engagement pubs that we've done in the past. But I'll tell you what really is new if I look at my plans is telemedicine. So we're spending a lot more time in telemedicine in this post-COVID world. I think in 2020, I have a stat, the rheumatologists who's, who's we're, we're really focusing on, they moved um, a lot of their uh, appointments to telemedicine, 33% of their visits in December. And 77% of them are saying they're going to continue yeah. telemedicine. So I do think telemedicine is reaching its peak, but I also think it's going to be a lasting part of our mix. And, and that's, if I had to point to one thing that's new, I'd really focus around, you know, how we need to start engaging in telemedicine. Andrew's right. Depending on the specialty of the disease state, telemed is, is, is going to be a, a place that we need to play and play effectively changes the whole concept of point of care. But I, I get leery of the general telemed statement because right now in rare disease and oncology, telemed hasn't really um, had its impact. I mean, they are doing telemed appointments, but those telemed appointments are not leading to patient starts. I totally agree with that. I mean, I lead oncology, digital marketing at at my organization and it continues to be a question around telemedicine, but it's very different by geographic region where telemedicine is actually being used and what is it being used for? I mean, these are products that a lot of them just require in-office infusions and that sort of thing. Whereas I worked in the sexual health space previously and we were using telemedicine years ago um, because that is a much more almost like OTC-like type of therapeutic area. And there's that anonymity and privacy that comes with that sort of thing. So I think Paul is totally right that it really depends on the specialty, but I think net-net telemedicine is omnipresent somehow. Ryan, you know, anything different about your marketing plans more specific to social multimedia uh, in 2021, or I know we're almost getting to 2022, right? From an HCP perspective, Angela already said, you know, HCPs are people too, and they were already on social pre-COVID, but their usage, um, of course, has increased immensely over the past year, not only across those kind of usual suspects of Doximity, Sermo, and LinkedIn, but we're really starting to see the lines blur between professional and personal, um, as we all have, right? Like we're living our lives in our houses. So, um, but I would say a great example is Facebook. So there's a way bigger emphasis for us in our plans for HCPs 
um, now more than ever before. And last spring, there was this really great article in the New York Times around how HCPs were turning to Facebook groups um, to talk about what they were seeing on the front lines. And that was really remarkable because they hadn't turned to Facebook before. You know, they might um, talk within Doximity or other like very specific professional networks, but now it was kind of like, this is just a, a channel that I'm on anyway, and things are crazy, and it's just easy to turn to this channel. So, um, and then Angela mentioned that 80% of physicians are using Facebook monthly. So, you know, we're seeing similar things like with Twitter, um, HCP usage has been way up um, just from March 2020 of last year to April. Twitter saw a 50% increase in activity among HCP conversations, and it's only continued to go up. And then we've seen HCP start to use things like Instagram Live to get their messages across. TikTok, I've seen some really awesome Congress recaps on TikTok. And, you know, so we're starting to look at those channels as well as marketers. And I think a lot of us thought things like TikTok were much further away of an opportunity, even when it came for patients, right? but um, let alone HCPs. So I think with all of this, the takeaway is that there's just been this kind of unprecedented rapid shift in HCP behavior on social in terms of the channels they go to, but then also our response to that as marketers. So that's just been really interesting. Paul, you know, what are some of the other innovative or emerging trends HCP marketers need to be aware of? As marketers, we need to make sure we're educating our um, organizations on these new opportunities and make sure we can engage, um, I guess, not only effectively, but compliantly. Um, just um, yesterday, I was having a conversation with um, um, some folks in the field and it was like, yeah, we need to you know, start communicating with our HCPs on social media. And I'm like, yeah, that's never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, um, I, and I don't want to be, you know, so let's, let's rain on someone's parade, but we have to, you know, take steps sometimes. And I think, you know, doing media and social, doing um, a channel that um, we can track AEs and, and, and do things is is definitely not only fair game but has to become part of core strategies i firmly believe that but i i do believe when we're taking it to that next step of not marketing a message but having an interaction with an hcp particularly if it's coming from um the field um i, I guess i'm just not as bullish as using social as um a means of uh, connecting with our uh, customer, at least at this point. Paul, one thing I would say is that when we we originally had that similar reaction like you had, like that's never going to happen. But then um, there are some things, some tools that we can use in social like chatbots that allow you to, you know, have, you know, very uh, one to one conversations. You can pre-program, you can track AEs. Um, we did this uh, at my former company, at GSK. We did this with patients, unbranded in the asthma space. And we had a lot of success. We actually had an over 70% completion rate of um, a chat quiz, which just took essentially an old PDF, you know, radio button type form and turned it into a dialogue. Um, we were really impressed with that kind of response. And it just shows you you know, how engaged uh, patients were. And the thing that we also did in that chat, in that one-to-one -one dialogue, is um, we injected some empathy in there, right? We, we, we had our script actually include things like, I'm sorry to hear that when a patient would talk about their exacerbations. Um, so it can be done. And I think people are just getting more and more comfortable yeah. with having those types of engagements in social. I, no, I, I'm, I'm aligned with you, but I, I, I pick on certain words, unbranded. Chatbot, that is a marketing tool, not a sales rep interaction tool with HCP in the social space. So uh, we, we are yeah. totally aligned and we're looking <laughs> at chatbox. We need to use it. Um, we need to look at and be really bullish on social and multimedia um, in that um, unbranded condition. And I, I would not say that's a new thing. That's something we've been doing 
well before the digital um, acceleration from COVID. I, I think we're aligned that social should be part of the play. I think we just have to make sure that we're using it to allow us to, to continue to grow and expand instead of jump into the deep end. I totally agree with you, Paul. I think the I've seen like we've run into issues, I think, at the level of organizational processes when we should be focusing on behavior, customer behavior, how people behave, right? Like a rep should be able to text their customer to figure out like a good time to chat, a good time to meet. And if they say a product name, like that should be okay, but it's not because of processes and regulations. And um, I think we just have to kind of figure out like, how can we make that happen? Um, you know, there are like secure texting um, capabilities out there. So is it a matter, a matter of looking at like JetBlue, who I know is able to do that with customers one-to-one -one and talk about personal information and translate that over to pharma. It's not easy to do. And I think if you're um, anything like me, I've been so focused on a million other things, but it's something that we're gonna have to kind of figure out very soon. I think one of the trending is we need to really make sure that we treat physicians like we want to be treated. And it's the content and the engagement needs to be when, how, and where they want it, not based on our schedule. So things need to become bi bi-directional and need to be as much pull as traditionally only push. Angela, I know a lot of marketers, um, medical media marketers say pharma is reluctant to commit to HCP focused programs that have dedicated or are inclusive of social and multimedia messaging. And you even said it at the beginning that your program, you know, your, your launch doesn't look that much different, but we have had an, an acceleration these past six, 12 months. Are you and and other marketers at, at your, your your company starting to let your guard down to having you know social media be a, a proof of concept play um, or a requirement and, and being able to just jump and dive into a long-term video series? Pharma is likely going to be slower to adopt when it comes to something new. And it's just because of the regulated nature of the business, right? Like we do have to understand the boundaries that we work within. Um, but I do think it's changing and that maybe our old slow um, was more of sort of like a dinosaur pace where I feel like we're getting into a new slow, which may be more of a jog pace. Um, and what I'll say is that, you know, a lot of marketers are being challenged to have some sense of innovation within their plans. Um, when I worked at GSK, I was part of an acceleration team and we focused on proof of concepts because we had to prove out, right? Could this proof of concept actually work? Um, and then that new practice would hopefully turn into a best practice or if it didn't work, a you know, fantastic flop, which was also something we would learn from. Yep. Um, what I think has happened though, in the last 12 months because of COVID organizations just have to be more open to trying something new because the reality is that anything that was tried and true before, it may not be tried and true in this post COVID world. So you're essentially having to now, you know, force kind of folks and marketers to try to be thinking a little bit differently because it's not you can't even rely necessarily on some of the past ROIs that you've had in that past, you know, pre-COVID world. So what I do think is happening is that it is accelerating our pace of change. I, I think that we still are in a regulated industry and that won't change, but I do think the pace is picking up and that we don't necessarily always need to see something proven out in a small proof of concept in order to be able to try it in our plans. Ryan, I heard you talking about, you know, a little bit of consumer starting to creep in, you know, the JetBlue example. Are there other consumer examples that have, you know, gotten across your desk or desk or gotten approved or, or you want to try out? Two major kind of traditionally consumer trends come to mind. Those both 
those being influencer marketing and video. Um, and I would caveat those specific tactics with a kind of overarching strategic approach we've adopted over the past year, which is really that of designing with our customers. So making sure we're validating every new idea with them, um, asking them, hey, would this type of um, capability or channel be relevant to you? Would you digest information through this way um, instead of kind of doing things in a silo? Um, and then going back to, you know, HCPs are people too. They're not robots and therefore they have consumer habits as well. Um, they're really prosumers is kind of the term that I like to use for them. Um, so again, we've made sure to ask them how and when they want to hear from us. Um, so when it comes to the influencer piece, you know, that's something that is huge in the consumer space. Um, it's been huge. I mean, half of my Instagram feed seems to be sponsored or co-created content at this point. Um, and overwhelmingly, we've gathered that peer-to-peer -peer influence is the most credible and valuable means when it comes to um, getting information to HCPs. And we've known that for a long time, and we've implemented it in very traditional ways. Um, but at a time when HCPs and all people really are spending so much of their time on their phones, on social, et cetera, why would we not enact some of those same principles and work with thought leaders? compliantly to get the word out about our disease states, our products, et cetera. So um, without kind of giving away too much information, you know, it is possible um, yeah. to kind of emulate that influencer strategy in the HCP space. And then when it comes to video, also not shocking, just given again, how mobile and social we are, especially um, post COVID um, and very consumer based. But again, look at your Facebook, Instagram, TikTok feeds, it's mostly video. Um, we know that the most captivating and engaging content is video or animated in some fashion. Um, but with rep visits disappearing or just not what they were prior to COVID, like sure, remote detailing one-to-one -one is great, but it's not usually convenient for the customer. So we've really started to tap into this idea of on-demand. So think Netflix, think Hulu, Amazon, even Starbucks. Like I'm gonna order my coffee, walk in and get it on-demand when I want it. Um, so how can we make it easier for HCPs to access video content whenever they want versus having to schedule live time with a rep. That has been a huge, I would say, consumer-driven trend that we are now um, enacting across the board. I just love what Ryan shared. And I, I started my career in OTC, you know, when I was at J&J. &J. And some of the things that I worked on as a marketer, you know, we did uh, interactive YouTube, right? That, you know, back in, I don't know, 2000. 8, 2009, right? That we're you know starting to see things like that over in pharma. I feel like the con consumer kind of gives us some good ideas around what we can start to adopt and then bring into pharma with you know our our sort of understanding on our customers, you know, understanding about you know the regulations. Um, and I also just love what Ryan talked about around like influencers. Because that really is like what we've been doing a lot in pharma. We don't really call it that, but that's essentially a lot what we do with peer to peer. Um, and I know, you know, one thing I've been seeing in my rheumatology uh, launch is that, you know, there's almost like a, a new guard, I would say, even of, of rheumatologists, right? These are these younger rheumatologists that are, you know, looking for different types of influence and not, you know, maybe thinking about the typical dinner program. But looking around, you know, who are those top rheumatologists? Following them on Twitter, following them on LinkedIn. Um, so I, I definitely think that's, you know, a really critical um, part of our strategies that we need to look into. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I mean, the video, the on-demand, all of those things. We, it was said earlier by, uh, you know, someone that, you know, at the end of the day, HCPs are people too. And I, I think we need to realize or sometimes look at how would we want to interact or receive content. And a lot of it's on our schedule. So all of those things. I mean, the only thing I would add to all of this is we need to look at, um, because it's so popular outside of pharma and it's becoming more, but it's still is trailing is voice or you know voice search all of that i mean 
that is, I, I truly believe, I, I saw a stat and I don't, I, I thought the number was high if, um, but they said um, last year about 20% of farmer searches were voice. I, 20% is not a big number, but I thought we would be even less than 20%. But if you look yeah. at outside of our industry, I mean, I, I don't know the last time I typed a Google search, <laughs> you know, or take it outside of going into Google, you know, Alexa, hey, Google. I mean, you just speak now, you know, no one wants to read. They want to watch a video. No one wants to type. They want to use their voice. So I think that's something that we're going to have to um, embrace. And that embrace is going to require changes. It's no longer are you going to show up in the top three um, keywords. You know, you're going to really need to look at long tail. You're going to look to see how people are speaking. Because let's be honest, how you speak is even different than how you type. We'll be right back after a quick message from the Association of Medical Media. Hi, I'm Jess Campbell from the Association of Medical Media. I'm thrilled you're listening to this episode of our regular podcast series, AMM Conversation. A key pillar of the AMM's mission is to provide a forum for sharing thoughts, ideas, and best practices. That's why, along with this podcast, the AMM is pleased to host a number of other resources located on our website, ammonline.org. These include our new podcast series, John Lochran Use Your Profile, and member resources located within our knowledge exchange, such as our Medical Media Matters fact sheets, CHC policy updates, and AMM Conversation special reports. Check out these resources, become a member of the Association of Medical Media, and keep an eye out for information regarding our annual Nexus Awards planned for June 15th by visiting ammonline.org. We're back with our roundtable of pharma marketing insiders. Let's get back to the conversation. You know, in a couple of days, I'm doing another podcast with, um, you know, a company that does HCP gamification. Um, you know, we're starting to get bombarded with, you know, direct to text. Who the heck are you texting me? Right. Um, what other types of, you know, new medias uh, do you see out there? Based on specialty? I, I think gamification is definitely um, something that can play in. I think um, also based on specialty, particularly when you're looking at um, injectables within the pharma biotech space, I think a certain sense of virtual reality um, is probably something we need to look at. However, we have to once again, look at it from um, a cost effectiveness standpoint. We're not going to be shipping those high-end goggles to like every HCP we have. So how are we going to do um, virtuality-like, as I call it, so that you can still get a, a feel for the injection or um, walk you through a, you know, have that dosing calculator become more intuitive so that you're feeling your way through the process like you would if um, someone was in that office walking through the steps. Um, they would be the things that I think would um, also be um, new trends we look at, right? I don't know if I have as exciting of an answer, but um, you know, I can't predict the future. And I am also, I tend to be skeptical around some of the shiny and new. Um, but what I do think is that there's just such an opportunity these days to um, look at some of the popular capabilities and channels and think more around what are some kind of custom um, new ad units or um, capabilities within them that we can create. Um, I think that a really good example is with Doximity, they've added a um, rep connect feature. So um, a physician can see who their rep is for a certain product while they're in Doximity. And, um, you know, that was definitely um, something new that came because of COVID. And I think just, again, like more personalized ad, ad offerings and um, things like that will really just kind of continue to evolve and take off. Yeah, I know uh, marketers, you know, HCP marketers that I've worked with have also considered the electronic health record as a potential golden goose of being able to get that 
direct to uh, you know direct to the laptop or direct to the tablet opportunity. Um, you know, Paul, any thoughts on uh, or insights on EHRs? You know, for HCP messaging, I've often thought that is the EHRs that untapped untapped channel for us. However, I think through learnings, um, I will say um, it is not a a channel that we should really focus on advertising in. You know, um, a number of HCPs I talk to consistently, and this is going back even, you know, two, three years, um, don't want to be, quote, marketed to from a pure commercial standpoint in that EHR setting. What they do want is they want um, companies to help them treat their patients better. So I think the EHR, when you can provide educational value, you can provide the quick references to copay cards, to all those tools that will make that HCP patient engagement more rewarding. I think those companies that do that can truly um, differentiate differentiate themselves from competition. I also believe from a marketing perspective, um, you can um, working with health IT um, really look at EHRs because although they're all unique in a way, there is commonalities behind each of them. And you can create a script to hand to your physicians or institutions that will allow favorites, um, patient pursuant lists, you know, um, all of that to be um, pre-programmed because the EHR physicians have to use them. They're mandated. However, no one likes using them. I've never talked to anyone that loves it. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm a firm believer that we need to keep it simple and easy. So if a physician wants to prescribe your medicine and they have to go find it in an EHR, there's a risk that they're not going to keep looking. If it's in a favorite list that they can check a box and it's the script is written, I think you're closing the deal electronically a whole lot better than before. So I would definitely say, yes, we need to look at EHRs, but not look at it from another place to place um, ads. Angela, you know, you have an interest in the cultural challenges associated with disrupting pharma. And we've talked a little bit about you know, are you really are we moving forward or are we inching ahead? Um, can you explain with regarding to, you know, the challenges around new medias? So I love this conversation because um, when I used to talk about digital um, transformation, I say to people, digital transformation is like a walk on the beach. And it's not the walk on a beach that we typically show in our pharma ads where, you know, they're, you know everyone's walking happily with the golden retriever in tow. Um, it's like the real beach. It's like the beach that I go to as a mom of three with little ones in the stroller and the dads that are sweating, trying to put up the tents um, and the sand in your face. I mean, that's real life, right? Like this is hashtag IRL right here. So what I think about when you think about you know, um, digital transformation, you have to think about the headwinds, right? There's so many people that are telling you, you know, baggage from old rules where, where people say things like we tried that or we can't do that in pharma, right? So we have to think about how do you attack those headwinds um, and know that they're coming. Um, you also have to recognize that everyone is going to be happy, right? right? Change is really tough for people in pharma. People in pharma are used to the way that things are done. COVID is actually helping us because it's forced the change on everyone. Um, but the other thing about digital transformation that we just have to get comfortable with is that it's messy, right? Like this is the kid that drops their popsicle in the sand. Yeah, yeah. It is messy on the beach in real life. Um, and we have to just be ready for that and think about, um, can we be comfortable when things aren't perfect? Can we still put progress over that perfection? And if, if we can kind of sort of know these things are coming, anticipate them and start to tackle them, I think that we can really drive, you know, that that uh, change at more rapid pace in pharma. 
Um, and I'll tell you, every consultant I've ever met with, that when I talk to them about digital transformation, the McKinsey's, the Baines, all of them of the world, what they tell you is that the number one thing that people get wrong is focus enough focus on this cultural change, right? And trying to drive a shift in, in sort of the paradigm or a shift in getting more of an innovative nature in the company. So I think that it's not something that's a nice to have, it's something that we must get right. And I'll tell you that the good factor here is that, you know, what COVID has actually done, you know, in pharma is just sort of brought on a change that we've had to get comfortable with. Um, and that's really good news. So I think for those marketers and those, you know, uh, media um, um, leaders in the industry, we can lean into this and really lean into the fact that people are, you know, having to change. So let's start to drive that change in more of a positive way that can accelerate the industry. I love your beach analogy, Angela. I might have to shamelessly steal that because, <laughs> you know, fortunately my kids are older, but the point is I remember the, the popsicle. In the, in the... <laughs> yeah. I have a picture that I, I usually show that goes along with that. That's literally my real life beach, which yeah. is not pleasant but it's you know you make the, the, the one thing on a, <laughs> on a more serious note though that i would add because i agree with everything angela just said is besides the organizational or the cultural movement that has to happen here i think and, and ryan said it, you can't get hung up with the shiny new object but i also think we need to not forget that technology is not going to be our limitation it's besides culture and organizational um, ability to change, it's the training of our associates. You know, we, we yeah. saw really quickly that, you know, you know, everyone kept saying selling, selling. Well, guess what? Selling on a Zoom call is not selling when you're in a room with somebody. There's a difference. You have to read mm -hmm a screen differently, you, you know, even doing a presentation, you know, virtually is different than doing one off of your IMVA. And I think we underestimated that. You know, Ryan, I just got off uh, another recording with uh, representatives from Sermo, Reddit, Doximity. Um, and they talked about one of your favorite um, issues in media right now is, uh, you know, moving towards more snackable content. I think that's the way you described it earlier. And every one of the every one of the social platform reps were like, you know, got to be fast, got to be quick. You know, we know that our docs are, are busy and, you know, you have to be able to grab their attention in a heartbeat. Tell me a little bit about your thoughts, you know, and explain your, your sort of, you know, credo in terms of we got to move to snackable content. Sure. Yeah. Snackable is another one of my favorite 2020 slash 2021 words that I'm teaching everyone along with prosumer and now new <laughs> personal promotion. That's a new favorite. Thank you, Paul. Um, but it's so funny because I feel like we were really starting to see this behavior pre-COVID, but with many things, this time has just accelerated the increase in behavior. So I used to quote this stat a lot from our partners at Facebook that today an average person um, screens, or sorry, today an average person thumbs through 300 feet of content every day on their feed, uh, which means that is one Statue of Liberty every day. And that's on Facebook alone. So, and that was pre-COVID. So think about, you know, how much more our screen time has actually increased since then. It's probably, you know, a few Statue of Liberties. So, Pair that with all the different types of content that someone will see in their feed, right? You're competing with ads, family photos, cat videos. So how do you grab someone's attention in that moment? Um, but at the same time, studies also show that our brains have evolved in recent years, and we can actually process a thought from an image in a 13th of a second versus in one full second um, and that's just over the course of, I think, between year 2000 and year 2014. So we're kind of like adapting to this. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's there's really that opportunity when it comes to content 
making it more grabby, more snackable, as I like to say, right? Getting your message across very quickly in a way that is engaging and is going to grab someone's attention, whether they're a customer or a patient. So, um, you know, there's certainly a time and a place for the 20 minute long talking head. I think we've all put our speaker videos onto digital means and everything. But I think these days, what we are hearing from our customers is tell me, get straight to the point, tell it to me quick and in a way that I can easily access it. So we're really trying to work through that. And before I let others speak on that, uh, that snackable content should also guide you somewhere that there is more relevant or deeper learning, correct? Instead, you know, instead of trying to give them the entire basket of goods, give them a snack and then drive them to the website or some, some other platform that will give them everything else they need if they want it, or they can book a market later, whatever. Yeah, that's a great way to think about it too, almost like a breadcrumb. So leading them to, uh, you know, a larger, whether it's a website or um, priming them for hearing, you know, your takeaway. So maybe it's um, priming a patient um, in an unbranded fashion, then moving into branded and then asking them to convert. So I think that there's a strategy there as well. Yeah, I, I I just love what Ryan's talking about about snackable content, and it's it's you know what I it, it's so relevant because it's definitely what we do in consumer land too, right? But we don't always think about it, especially when we're developing content for customers. Almost you know every team, it's very tried and true that we start with you know the core asset, which is the CVA, which can you know be many pages. That's not what we're thinking about in terms of snackable, right? Um, so I think that. If you want to really live into this concept of being snackable and even think about the sequence of messages, right? You might get a, you know, a crumb, like Ryan said, then a snack, and then maybe it drives to a meal, right? Um, but I think you have to then think about what's the objective of each of the, you know, sequences um, of those different pieces of content so that you're trying to get customers really to engage deeper and deeper, um, you know, based on your marketing objectives. You know, and uh, Paul, you know, what's the biggest challenge working with, you know, HCP marketers uh, in, you know, in medical media? No, it's great. And now I'm fine. I'm actually, I think my biggest difficulty before answering the question is I need to eat because you guys are talking about snackable breadcrumbs and all that. So I'm, I know I'm getting a little hungry here, Jason, but I love the analogy. I, I, I could definitely um, use that because it makes a lot of sense because you're leading. I, I think the biggest challenge is really, to your point, changing, changing the um, paradigm. You know, old school is named old school for a reason. It's what worked in the past. And we have to realize, I mean, Google's been talking at least for like the last 10 years about that micro moment, which is what Ryan's talking about, that snackable concept. We need to make, we need every HCP marketer to realize that the world has changed. Attention span is less than ever before. You know, people don't want to read. They don't want to consume at length, war and peace every time they try to find something. And they also don't wanna look too hard to find what they're looking for. Um, so we need to make sure it goes back and I try to keep it simple. You know, is there something that you would advise medical media to stop doing right away or change something that they've been doing? Yeah, it's a little similar to, I think what Paul said, but I would sum it up with, you know, I want engagement over volume, right? Like stop showing me impressions, right? What does that even mean? We get millions of impressions. I wanna know what my high value actions are. Like tell me, you know, what happened um, in terms of, first of all, like let's align around like what is the high value action we're driving? And then tell me about that engagement. That's how we should be looking at uh, media and making decisions and, and where do we make trade-offs? So. You know, I would just sum it up as saying, you know, we need to move away from just looking at impressions and, and using impressions as a way that we sort of uh, make decisions and we need to get to more engagement. Yeah, I love that. I, I totally agree on the measurement piece. Like, it's just so critical for us to be able to show, honestly, just to get back to a script, right? I know that's not easy to do, but 
as Angela mentioned earlier, with our marketing mix models and everything um, really increasing, there is opportunity to be um, kind of assigning that that HVA to some of these things. Um, but I would just add, I would say, stop designing solutions for pharma in a vacuum. Partner with us and therefore our customers to come up with new offerings, new ad units, new solutions. Um, I would say some of the the most effective new types of ad units and capabilities that we've um, really put out there within the media space has have been those that have really been a co-creation. So don't make assumptions and don't don't design things in a vacuum. And please do not suggest we build apps. Oh. That is my other big thing. I hate apps. They, as, <laughs> Keep the apps away. As a former app builder, I 100% agree with you because they yeah. they had no clue what they were doing. Talk about shiny, fuzzy, no. new thing to put in your... <laughs> anyway. Yes. so uh, I, I don't do apps. <laughs> Paul, have you been able to segment HCP specialties by new media adoption? In a past life, we were getting um, better at that. I, I could tell you that um, currently, particularly when you're looking at rare, ultra rare, and you know some of the more rare oncology type of um, specialties, it's not so much about segmenting the different specialists. It's about that affinity data to truly know where the HCP that you want to connect with, where they're spending their time and what is the best avenue to get your message to them. Ryan, earlier you mentioned HCPs as prosumers. So I see the worlds of professional and personal on social continuing to meld together, especially as we see new HCPs enter the workforce. I mean, look at Gen Z, right? Like they're growing up on TikTok and Clubhouse and things that even I don't know how to use at this point. And there's no way that that won't impact how they consume professional information, even 10 to 20 years down the road. Um, so similar to, to how many HCPs today use LinkedIn or even Facebook now to share and learn work-related information, um, I think we're, we're going to see that just continue. What is one social or multimedia trend that you would hope would continue? The thing I'm most fascinated about right now, and I'll be the first to say i still in infancy of understanding it, is Clubhouse. I think there's, it, it, it could be the next EHR, I think, in a way, um, from a standpoint of innovation and, and, and driving. And if you look at the number of HCPs that are engaging in Clubhouse, um, I still don't know how we as farmer can um, play there. Angela, you got uh, something you'd like to hope continue or expand? So what I'd like to continue is, you know, utilizing social for, for more one-to-one -one conversations. I don't think we've really figured that out yet. But, um, you know, I remember pre-COVID talking to Snapchat and they're talking a lot about how their platform is very private, right? And, and the private aspect of it allows you to have more one-to-one -one conversations. I think we haven't quite figured out, right? You know, I mean, Paul brought this up a little earlier. We haven't quite figured that out yet and how we can do it in social. So I'd love to be able to figure that out. Um, and then also what I hope actually changes in social is um, some better understanding of, of data, even in these walled gardens. You know, we're moving into the cookie list world. You know, we all know that's coming. And I think we have to think about first party data right and um you know social may help us but it might might actually be more of a this help us in the short term but we need to start thinking about our first party data in the long term i think i hope and i am very hopeful that the spirit of innovation and agility will just not only continue but really become embedded in our culture and in our industry uh, i have just been so amazed with just um, suddenly, like it seems overnight, some of these things that we could never get approved, you know, we're suddenly like rapidly getting approved. So I just hope that that spirit continues um, and that we don't go back to our old ways. And I am, again, I am hopeful that that will be the case. Angela, what's your outlook for 2021 and beyond? You know, what I think we're going to start to see is things are going to start to go back to normal. People want that, um, but there just needs to be a really focus and a fine tuning on 
you know, what are the changes that we want to take forward, right? Some of the social, you know, some of the, the um, cultural changes that Ryan mentioned, right? How can we leverage that uh, as a silver lining in this, you know, post-COVID world? Ryan? Well, I think obviously things are not going to remain completely remote. I do think that there are pieces of this remote life that we are all going to hold on to. And I think that could even trickle down to like, you know, um, in-person visits. So I don't think that things like video and this emphasis on on demand will go away. I think that it will be the norm. Same with telemedicine, things like that. So I think we're going to see an interesting kind of hybrid culture moving forward. Paul, your outlook for 2020 and beyond? I, I would agree totally with both what Angela and Ryan said. We as society want to get back to the old. However, there will be a leveling. We, we're at one side of the pendulum. It's swifted to total virtual. There will be a balancing. I don't know where that balance is. I truly believe we're not going back to, you know, January of 2020 by any means, but where that fits um, or where that lands is going to be where we need to make sure we continue to not stop doing, to Ryan's point, some of the innovation we have been doing. For example, you know, if you weren't allowing virtual detailing prior to COVID, now that you can do face-to-face, -face, don't discontinue it. Because I know there's a lot of folks that have agreed to do things for their pandemic. And their thought was, well, we'll just revert back when it is. I just hope that um, isn't the case because the goodwill and everything that we've been earning during this trying time, I, I'm afraid would be for naught if we totally swing back. That's all for this episode of AMM Conversation. Thanks for listening. AMM Conversation is the official podcast of the Association of Medical Media. Make sure to listen to each and every episode of AMM Conversation on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you enjoy your podcasts. Kindly leave us a comment, subscribe, follow, or share this podcast. We appreciate the engagement. Join me next week when I chat with Dr. Eric Gantworker, VP of Medical at Level X, as we examine the pandemic's impact on medical education and HCP-focused gamification trends. Also make sure to check out the AMM website, www.ammonline.org, for the latest information and resources on medical media. In addition to fact sheets, industry research, and special reports, watch my monthly healthcare policy update featuring Beltway insider John Bigelow, or the new YouTube series, John Lochran Viewed Your Profile, on AMM's new YouTube channel. Have a wonderful day. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the guests and not necessarily to the host or AMM or any other group or individual.